Good morning. Thanks for loving me. I appreciate that a lot. And I need it. Thank you. He's just silly, isn't he? He calls his brothers Damon and Lucifer, but I think we know who the real trouble is in that family. Yeah, okay. So, gang, for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about something that I'm convinced every human being who's ever been on this planet, walked on this planet, every human being wants. I think it's something every human being needs. And I'll even go as far as to say, I think it's something that every human being was created for. And that something is this, freedom, freedom. We're gonna celebrate our freedom as a country next you know, weekend as we approach July 4th, freedom. Thing is, is we sort of have some unusual ideas. Not they're usual, but they're not quite accurate ideas of what it, freedom really is. You know, see, the problem is, I think a lot of us would define freedom like this. Freedom is we think in terms of doing what I want, when I want, the way I want. Right? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me how to think. Nobody's going to tell me what I can and cannot say. I am free to do whatever I want. But is that really freedom? I mean, right now, today, I could take my credit card and I could go out and I could spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on the things that I want, right? But will I experience freedom by doing that? No. No, not at all. Of course not. I'm going to be enslaved and imprisoned to a mound of debt. So we got to get this, just because we're free to do something doesn't mean it will result in freedom, right? Just because we're free to do something doesn't mean it results in freedom. And that's because real freedom, it isn't about what I'm doing. Real freedom is about who it is that I'm becoming. I mean, if I wanted to be kind of cute and clever or corny, we could say it this way, freedom is in the who, not the do right? But I'll spare you the corny, okay? But we've probably all heard stories of someone, whether it's someone famous or somebody in our, in our own family, someone who was incredibly gifted and talented, and they just had potential for greatness, you know, in their field. Maybe it was in sports, or maybe it was in music, or, or just something else, whatever it was. This great potential, but they never reached that greatness because they chose the path of freedom that says, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, the way I want, how I want. And it just wrecked their life. And it prevented them from ever reaching their potential, all that they, they had the potential to become inside of them. Freedom isn't about what we can or cannot do. Freedom is about being able to reach your potential. Here at FCF, we say it this way. It's part of our mission statement. It's all about reaching your full redemptive potential in Christ. It's about becoming the person that God created you to be. And that happens as we re reunite, we return to Christ, our creator, and trust him. And through that trust, we now start living the way that he's designed us to live, the best way to live, which brings about the best me, the person I was created to be. And you may or may not realize this, but there are things that are hindering us 
from reaching our full redemptive potential and becoming who it is that we were created to be. And I'm not talking about the things out here, although there probably are some things surrounding us, but I'm talking about things in here and in here. For the next two weeks, I want us to look at something that I think greatly impacts our freedom to become who we're meant to be. And if we understand and we approach this something the right way, then it frees us and it helps us reach our full potential. But if not, if we don't quite understand it and we don't approach it the right way, then this something will actually hinder us. It'll hinder our growth and our development. And that something is this, forgiveness. You ever thought of it in that way before? That it hinders our growth and development? See, forgiveness has, it's kind of like a coin. There's two sides to the coin. On one side of the coin is being forgiven. And then on the other side of the coin, we have being forgiving. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to unpack these two things. Today, we're going to talk about being forgiven. And then next Sunday, we're going to flip the coin over and we're going to talk about being forgiving but forgiven, forgiven. Just like there are two sides uh, to the forgiveness coin, I think there are two approaches or or two perspectives uh, on this idea of being forgiven. One of the perspectives leads to freedom and to us reaching our full redemptive potential, but the other perspective, it leaves us enslaved and imprisoned. So the first approach will unpack it's one that Pastor Randy teaches on a lot. And, and I said, every time he, he teaches on this, it just kind of sinks in deeper and deeper for me where I'm really like, wow, I, I, I see something and, and I'm getting it. Let me ask this question. I'm curious. How many of you know what the speed limit is out here on Route 15 in front of the church? How many know what the speed limit? And what, what is the speed limit? 75. Who said, <laughs> What? 55, uh, okay. Now, does anyone actually go the speed limit out here on Route 15? Let's be honest, okay. How many of you would say, more often I'm breaking the law than I am following the law? Who, who would say, more often I'm, mm-hmm, I'm glad, I appreciate your honesty. Appreciate, what happens when we break the speed limit law? Nothing if there's not a cop around. <laughs> we just get there faster, right? That's what happens. But oh, when you suddenly you kind of go over that hill and you sit and you're like, oh, he's sitting there. He's got that gun pointing at me. The lights are going. Then I'm going to pay about a $90 fine. Don't ask me how I know that. Okay. (laughs) But that's the punishment for breaking the law. Now, let's say the officer's just feeling good. You know, he's having a good day. So he pulls me over. And he's like, I'm going to let you off with just a warning. The officer forgives the offense. We avoid the punishment. Sweet, right? That's judicial forgiveness. So let's let's kind of break this down and, and look at this a little more closely. Who's the issue between when I broke the law? Is the problem between me and the officer? No. The issue is between me and the law. Does the law feel hurt or offended by what I did? No. What about me? What do I feel? Am I upset for breaking the law or am I upset because I got caught? 
right? And then I perhaps feel some relief. I'm relieved, you know, when the officer lets me off because I'm going to avoid the punishment now. I might even feel a little bit of appreciation toward the officer who let me off. But do these feelings of relief and appreciation, do they change me? Do they change my behavior? Maybe for a minute, right? Rest of my way driving home. So let's just put this into a, a simple little diagram here. You see, the issue isn't between me and the officer, the issue is between me and the law. And between me and the law is my wrongdoing. It was an offense, I did something wrong. I broke the law. The officer, he just happened to have the power to be able to forgive my offense, so I avoided punishment. That's judicial forgiveness. I'm relieved, whew, thanks. But there's a second kind of forgiveness, and it looks like this. On the other side of my wrongdoing now is a person. It's a person that I have wronged. I didn't break a law, I wronged a person. I offended a person, I hurt a person, and they feel it. It has wounded them. They're perhaps even experiencing some consequences due to my hurt and my offense. And on my side, hopefully I might be experiencing some guilt and some regret. My wrongdoing wasn't about breaking the law, it was about causing a break in a relationship. The purpose of forgiveness here, it isn't so that I can avoid punishment for my wrongdoing. The purpose of uh, forgiveness here is for a relationship to be restored. We're gonna call this relational forgiveness. It's forgiveness that serves a much greater and a much deeper and a far more important purpose than simply avoiding some punishment. So we have judicial forgiveness and we have relational forgiveness and here's the big problem, folks. Too often, too many people, when we think about forgiveness as it relates to God, we think in terms of judicial forgiveness. And because of that, we are missing out big time. Because of that, we don't experience freedom. We remain enslaved and imprisoned in all kinds of ways. We are not changed. You see, when it comes to God and my wrongdoing, it looks like this. My wrongdoing comes between me and God and it causes a break, a separation in the relationship. Another word for wrongdoing is sin. Sin comes between me and my God. It does damage to my relationship with God. It creates a separation between me and God. It's not about me breaking God's laws, it's about me breaking God's heart. I'm gonna say that one again. It is not about me breaking God's laws, it's about me breaking God's heart. King David, greatest king in the nation of Israel, um, he understood this so, so well. In one of the Psalms he had written 51 after just some really terrible things he had done. He writes this. He says, I did what you said is wrong. Lord, you told me this is wrong and I did it anyway. You are the one I have sinned against. 
He's saying, God, it's not about me breaking your laws. It's about me breaking your heart. I understand that. You are the one that I have sinned against. So let's talk a little bit about sin. All right, let's talk a little bit. We tend to think of sin, I think a lot of people do, as just the name for what we do when we break one of God's laws or rules. And a lot of people just see God's laws or his rules as just these arbitrary things he made up just because he's God and he could. And so when you break one of his rules, he calls it a sin. But sin is something so much bigger than that. There's so much more going on. You see, sin is when we choose to live in a way that's not consistent with the way that God has designed us to live. All of God's commands and his rules, they're not arbitrary, they're design laws. He says, this is how I've created you to live. This is how human beings function best. You're designed to live this way. But when we sin, it's stepping away from the loving creator. And we're like, I don't want to live under your rules and your ways. I think I know a better way, and that's my way, doing what I want, when I want, the way I want. You're not going to tell me how to live my life. I don't like your ways, and I do not trust you. And that's why sin, it isn't about breaking God's laws. It's about breaking his heart. Parents, you understand this. If you're the parent of a teenager, you know, you've brought your child up, you've taught them, they, they know, but then they willingly break the rules. And what do they do? They turn to you and they say, I hate you. They're not just breaking your rules that you, the rules in your home that you, you have there because you love them and you want to protect them. They're breaking your heart. You might be angry, but inside your heart is breaking and it damages your relationship right? It causes a separation and a distance. I'm going to say it one more time. Sin isn't about breaking God's laws. Sin is about breaking God's heart. And that's why we need relational forgiveness, not judicial forgiveness, so that our relationship with God can be repaired and restored. You see, we got to get this. You and I, we were created for a relationship with God. Maybe for someone here, that's the first time you've ever heard that. A relationship with God, not just duties and obligations. It's we're meant for a relationship. And it's a, not like a master and a servant, one where we're simply supposed to behave and then, and then serve. We were created for a very personal, a deep and intimate relationship with our creator. One that's like a, a father and a child. In 1 John, it says, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are, a child and a father kind of intimate, close relationship. And then Jesus even says, we're, we're, we're meant to be God's friends. He, he said to his followers, and John, he says, you're my friends if you do what I tell you. Meaning, if, if you trust me then we're friends, and that's the kind of relationship I want to have with you, a companionship, fellowship, friendship. We're created for intimate relationship with our creator. We're, we're, we're created to be loved by him, to experience his love, to know his love, to feel his love, and then to learn how to love like he loves. We're, we're created to enjoy this companionship and, and fellowship, just being just thrilled to just be with him and in his presence. What we're created to talk with him and to, to pour out our hearts with him, to be held by him in those moments in life that are sad and painful. We're created to be 
people who just walk with him through life and we learn and we grow and develop as we do. Now here's the thing, any close, intimate relationship, it needs forgiveness, right? If you're in a close relationship with somebody, you need to have forgiveness on a regular basis, right? And we'll talk about this a lot next week. If not, that relationship is just gonna get further and further apart if forgiveness isn't at work, in play. Because forgiveness, what the wrongdoing that, that interfered with the relationship and broke it apart, separated it, forgiveness is what brings it back together and restores what is broken. Now we tend to have some confusion, I think, about some of our greatest needs in this life. A lot of us, so many, we think, what do I need to get to heaven? I need forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is, is all about me getting to heaven. That's what it's about. No, it's not. Forgiveness isn't what I need to get to heaven. Forgiveness is what I need to get back to God. For my relationship with him, to be restored. Here's another one. We tend to think that we need, what we need is freedom from the punishment of sin. You know, as long as I'm not punished for my sin, I'm forgiven for my sin, then I'm okay. No, my greatest need is not freedom from the punishment of sin. My greatest need is freedom from sin. If I wanna reach my full redemptive potential and become the person that I was created to be, I need to be free from sin, not just free from the punishment of sin. That doesn't change me. There's a great Christian writer, C.S. Lewis, who's written all kinds of amazing books. And he wrote this. This is really powerful. He says, every time you make a choice, you and me, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with its other creatures and with itself or else and to one that is in a state of war and hatred with God, with its fellow creatures, and even with itself. That's heavy. That's some, something serious to think about because basically then, if what you are becoming is based on the choices you're making right now, what are you becoming? A hellish creature or heavenly creature? Let's look at another diagram. I like diagrams. See, a lot of people think this. The thing standing between me and heaven is just forgiveness. You know, as long as God forgives me for my sin, then I'm okay, I'm good. You know, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. So as long as God forgives me, I'm okay, I get to go to heaven. That's judicial forgiveness, a judicial perspective of forgiveness. But that's not what the Bible teaches. See, the Bible teaches this. The thing that gets me to heaven, the standing between me and heaven, is my trust. Trust stands between me and heaven. 
my decision to trust God, to return to him and say, I trust you, I know you are good, I know your ways are good, and so I want your ways in my life. I want to follow your ways, your good and perfect ways. I trust you. Listen, a person doesn't end up, end up in, in that place called hell because God was unable or unwilling to forgive them. A person ends up in that place because they choose not to trust God. And so they reject his forgiveness and they don't want his ways. They don't want him. That's why they end up there. Heaven is a place where God's will, his, his beautiful and good ways are done all the time. So this is something to think about. If I don't like or want God's will now on this earth in my life, why would I want it later? If I don't love God and righteousness now, nothing magical is gonna happen to make me suddenly want it later. We're deceiving ourselves if that's what we think. So Kim, are you saying that forgiveness, it just doesn't matter when it comes to heaven now? That's not at all what I'm saying. You see, it's through forgiveness that trust can be restored. Wait, let, let me rephrase that. It's through relational forgiveness that trust can be restored. So the big question for us then is, well, what do I need to do to be forgiven then? And the answer is really complicated. It's this, nothing, nothing. Well, that doesn't sound right, does it? I don't know about that. I can remember as a kid, I had learned somehow, or at least came up with this idea that I had to ask God for forgiveness for my sins in order to be able to go to heaven. And so I kind of lived with a little bit of fear and anxiety that I would commit a sin that I forgot to ask forgiveness for. You know, the thought being, if I failed to mention this one particular sin, then God, either he couldn't or he wouldn't forgive me for that sin. So, so wanting to kind of cover all my bases every night, I'd, I'd say a prayer that went something like, God, please forgive me for all my sins today, all the sins I committed, even the ones I can't remember, God, please forgive me. And again, I, I kind of lived with a little bit of fear when it came to God. We gotta do something to be forgiven, right? Well, we, we gotta confess, right? We got to feel really bad. We got to show some remorse. We got to do some ritual or say some prayer a certain number of times. Those are man's ideas. But the truth found in scripture is different. Scripture shows us that God forgives without us doing anything. See, 1 John 4, 8 tells us this. It says, God is love. It's saying that Love isn't just something that God does. He's not just, or, or description, he is loving. He is love. It's who he is. It's his very nature. God is love. And then in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul gives us this very lengthy and detailed description of what love is. And in the fifth verse, he says, love keeps no record of wrongs. So if God is love, we can say God keeps no record of wrongs. God forgives. Jesus, he showed up on the planet some 2,000 years ago, and he showed up to show us what God is like, to show us God's loving heart and how love forgives, how God comes forgiving us 
without us doing anything. I mean, even before dying on the cross, Jesus was showing us God's forgiving heart. There was this man who was paralyzed and, and, and Jesus healed him and then he turns to the man and he says, friend, and I love that, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. The paralyzed man, he, he wasn't asking for forgiveness. He wasn't even thinking about his spiritual condition or anything. He just wanted physical healing. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. To a sinful woman who anointed him with oil, he turned and he said the same thing. He says, your sins are forgiven, even though she had never asked. And then as he hung on a cross and he was dying, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. No one in that crowd at the foot of that cross was asking for forgiveness as they hurled insults at him. Jesus was often criticized by the religious leaders for associating with what they considered to be sinful people, kind of oblivious to their own sin. So Jesus addressed them at one point by telling them a parable, a parable that revealed the forgiving heart of God toward all people. So Jesus told them this story. He said there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Now this, this was a huge offense. This, is, this young man is going to his father before his father is even dead. He's like, give me my inheritance now. I want away from you. It's like a slap in his father's face. But the father does it, divided his property between his sons. And then the story that goes on, it says not long after that, the younger son, he just got his stuff. He left, he set off for another country. And there it says he squandered his wealth and wild living. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, the way I want, how I want. And then he reaped the consequences of that because he spent everything he had, nothing left. And then there's a severe famine in that country. So it says he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to this man, a man who sent him out into the fields to feed his pigs. And he's out there and he's destitute. And one day he realized, man, that food looks pretty good. I, I'd like to eat the pig food. That's how desperate I am. That's how much at the bottom of the pit I am. And then verse 17 Jesus' story says the most important thing, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he's like, what am I doing? And he says this, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So he makes a decision. He's got a plan in place. I'm gonna set out, I'm gonna go back to my father and I'm gonna say to him, because he recognized the severity of what he had done. He's, he, he's got his... He's got his plan. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Had the son fought, broken the father's rules or had he broken the father's heart? And then he's going to say to his father, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I get it. Make me like just one of your hired servants because I'll be better off still than what I was. The son thought, man, I have messed up big time. 
Dad's gonna be so mad. He's never gonna forgive me for what I've done. I owe him big time. He'll never want me back. The best I can hope for is him just letting me work for him at least. And then the story takes a shift and Jesus shocks the crowd as he explains the father's reaction and reveals the forgiving heart of our heavenly father. It says this, while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him. And what's he said he was filled with? Now, if you're the dad, are you filled with compassion or have you been like, oh, coming on home now, huh? Yeah, with your tail between your legs, yeah. I'm gonna have a little talking to you, son. But it says he's filled with compassion. And then, and then it says again, he, he runs to his son. Yeah, again, what, what are, we're gonna sit here and wait, tapping our toe. Yeah, come on, come on back here. Let's have a little talk. He says, no, he, he runs to his son he, and he throws his arm around, arms around him and he kisses him. And then the son goes into what he had planned. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I no longer am worthy to be called your son. But what's the father's reaction? He, it's almost like he doesn't even hear what his son said. Father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So what they do, they celebrate it. Celebrate it. So how, how in the world could the father have responded this way after what the son had done? because the father had already forgiven the son before he ever came home. Because the father had forgiven him the day he packed his bags and left home. Because the father had forgiven him the moment he said those disrespectful and hurtful words, give me my share of the estate. So when he comes home, instead of condemning his son, the father celebrates his return home. That's the forgiving heart of our God. Jesus was telling them and he's assuring us today that there is nothing on God's side that is separating us from him. There's nothing on God's side that is keeping us away from him. You see, God doesn't forgive us when we return home and say we're sorry. God forgives us so that we will return home and trust him. We are forgiven. The apostle Paul in Romans said this, he says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So let's, let's look at one more diagram. Between me and God is the cross. Now, some people will say Christ died on a cross so that, so that God could forgive me. But that's not what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. The cross is God's magnificent display of his forgiveness. The cross is God's magnificent display of his forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus put God's forgiveness on display so we could see the incredibly loving and forgiving heart of our God. Through the cross, God is saying, see, I, 
I already forgive you. You can trust me. It's safe to come home. And oh, how I want you. How I want you home. It's a verse in 1 John 1 that we frequently turn to when it comes to forgiveness. God is faithful and he's reliable. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. Now, we, we can't put something in that verse that isn't there. You see, that's not an if-then statement. If we confess, then God will forgive. No, it's actually giving us an assurance. It's saying, it's a promise and an assurance. When we confess our sins, we don't have to worry about his response. He's already forgiven us. Already. There's nothing, nothing on God's side that's separating us from him, keeping us from coming home. But there's plenty on our side, right? On our side, there are things that hinder us and stop us. I mean, think about it. The, the father had already forgiven the son, but it didn't do the son any good until he came to his senses when he acknowledged his sin and made the decision to return home to his father. There's a name for that, and it's, it's this, Repentance. Repentance. It's about a change in our thinking which leads to a change in our behavior and our choices. And forgiveness requires repentance. It's not that we're not forgiven until we repent. It's just that we will never receive the benefits of forgiveness unless we repent. I don't need to repent to be forgiven. I need to repent to be free to be free. So a really important question for each of us as we kind of start to close out this message is this. How am I responding to God's forgiveness? How am I responding? How are you responding to God's forgiveness? I came up with five possible responses. First one is this, just rejection. It's the person, person who says, I, I don't want, I don't need God, I don't need his ways, I don't want his ways, so therefore I don't need his forgiveness. I'm fine. I'll take my chances. And think about it. If the son in the parable had never come to his senses, he would have never known or cared about the father's forgiveness, and it would have never done him any good. He would have just continued to be enslaved and condemn himself by his own destructive living with that central part of himself with every choice turning into a more hellish creature. Rejection. Another response is relief. And sadly, this is very, very close to the first one. You see, this one, it, it just, it's that person with that perspective of judicial forgiveness when it comes to God. So they're just deceiving themselves, deceiving themselves that, that everything's okay. I'm forgiven, so I'm okay. Their focus is on the avoidance of punishment. I'll do some ritual, I'll say a prayer, uh, I'll go to church and I'll get some forgiveness and then I'm relieved. And as I'm relieved, then I can go back out and fill up my sin bucket again. Then I'll come back and I'll get more forgiveness because that's all I need is just this ritualistic kind of forgiveness. 
They seek forgiveness without having to change their behavior and their choices. They're caught up in the keep on cycle. The keep on cycle in Romans, the apostle Paul says, so what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? Basically, if, if you know, showing the beautiful heart of God that he forgives, so I'll keep on sinning so God can keep showing how loving he is, I'm making God look good, right? I'll just keep on. As long as I'm forgiven, I can keep on with my dishonesty. As long as I'm forgiven, I can keep on with my greed. As long as I'm forgiven, I can keep on with my gossip. As, as long as I'm forgiven, I can keep on with my sexual immorality. We are free to keep on if we want. But the longer we keep on, the more enslaved and imprisoned we become in our sin. Our relationship with God remains broken and gets further and further apart. And we, just like the rejection, are slowly turning that central part of ourselves into a hellish creature. A third response is refusal. I just can't accept God's forgiveness because my sin is too big. It's too severe. You don't understand the horrible things I've done. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. We replay and we rehash our sin over and over again. So we're imprisoned by feelings of guilt and regret and shame and self-loathing. I, I, I didn't just do wrong. I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. We don't just feel unforgiven. We feel unforgivable. And if you feel unforgivable, you feel unlovable. We may return and we, we may serve God for the rest of our lives, kind of like the son coming home to the father and say, look, I'll just be one of your workers. But we are not free. We are not free to enjoy the relationship with God that we were created for, the close, personal, intimate relationship he wants to have with us. And we're not free to grow and develop and truly reach our potential and become all God created us to be. I'm going to share something I, I didn't share in the first service, but I just, I've, I've, I've been here. I've been there. And I shared something in a group recently, and uh, this woman says, you got to be sure and share that. And I, and I did in the first, but, you know, I said for years, uh, that replaying and rehashing, and so as I would replay and rehash, I would just turn and say, God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. And it was just like regular, God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. And one day, somehow I turned it from God, please forgive me to God, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. I realized, what am I saying about God if I've got to keep asking him and he's already forgiven me, you know? And, and so I turned it into just thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. And that had tremendous impact on me. So somebody from my group said, share that. So I just did, okay. <laughs> Um, appreciation is our next one. And, and, and my guess is that this is the response of a lot of Christ followers, probably. The response we have to God's forgiveness. We're thankful and we really appreciate his forgiveness, but it doesn't quite get at a real deep level. You know, it doesn't draw us deeper into a closer, more intimate relationship with Christ, our creator. I, I think we, we still kind of keep him bit of arm's length, a little bit of distance. We're not comfortable still getting too terribly close. And here's what I mean by appreciation. Um, 
I, I really appreciate my eyeballs. Do you all? Do you appreciate your eyeballs? I mean, when they allow us to see, which is really awesome, right? And we use them every day without even thinking about it. And, but when you do just stop and think about it, you're like, man, I really appreciate my eyeballs. This is awesome. <laughs> but there's a big difference in that. And if we were to study the eyeball, I mean, if we were to study and, and learn that, that the eyeball can focus on 50 objects every second, that the eyeball can distinguish like 10 million colors, it's crazy, that, that the cornea bends light so that the eye can focus, and the pupil controls how much light enters, and the retina turns light into electrical signals that travel through the optical nerve so that the brain can turn these signals into images. Have the only more complex uh, organ in the body than the eye is the brain. So it's the second most, man, you hear that and you go, wow, whoa. We don't just have appreciation for our eyeballs. Now, we're in awe of our eyeballs, from appreciation to awe. And that can be our response to God's forgiveness. I mean, are we in awe of the forgiving heart of God that Jesus tells us about in the story of the prodigal son? Are we in awe of the forgiving heart of God that Jesus displayed on the cross for humanity, for you and for me? Are we in awe of the whisper of God, our creator, in our lives? And even right now, here in this moment, just saying, I forgive you. I do, I forgive you. Come on. Come on. For me, one of the most powerful stories uh, in the life of Jesus is recorded in John's gospel, the eighth chapter, and it's about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, it says. And, and it explains how this group of relig religious leaders, they grab this woman. I don't know how they actually caught her in the act, but they grab her, throw her out into this crowd of people where Jesus was. And they were always wanting to try to trick Jesus or corner him, and so they smugly turn to Jesus and they say, hey, hey Jesus, the law of Moses says that this woman should be stoned to death. That's the punishment for the law she broke. So what do you say, Jesus? And the scripture says something so interesting. It says that actually Jesus knelt down and with his finger, he wrote in the dust. Now, there are all kinds of theories about what he was writing in the dirt, but, but nobody knows. We, the scripture doesn't tell us. And it says that they were waiting and waiting. They were like, come on, Jesus, what? what? What's your answer? And it says that he finally stands up and he says, all right. All right, but, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Just stand silent. And the scripture says just one by one, those accusers all just kind of slinked away. Now recently when I read this story, I read it and I heard this pastor preaching a part on it and stuff. And suddenly I had, you know, I was kind of visualizing it all happening. But my imagination kind of took over and, and this other added piece kind of came in not in scripture but I think God used my imagination to get deeper to my heart 
And the thing that I imagined and was seeing in my head was, you know, these people all standing there with those rocks in their hands, just ready, man, they're ready to condemn her. Come on, come on, Jesus, just say the word because she broke the law. And then what I imagined in my head was it, you know, it says that he bent down to write in the dirt, but what he did was Jesus also picked up a rock. And then in my imagination, I'm just seeing Jesus do this. He's just kind of standing there, tossing a rock up and down. So when he makes that statement, all right, whoever's without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. Jesus is the only one who could have thrown that stone. He's the only one without sin. He was worthy to throw that stone, but he didn't. They slink away and then he turns to the woman and he says, where are your accusers? Who's here to condemn you? She says, no one. He says, neither do I. Neither do I. But it doesn't stop there. He says something incredibly important to that woman in that moment and incredibly important to each of us. His last and final words, he says, go now and leave your life of sin. Most important thing she needed to hear. And the big question is, what did she do? Scripture doesn't tell us. I mean, did she kind of leave and then just keep on? Like, oh, well, that was nice. He forgave me. I didn't get stoned in that moment. But keep on with this lifestyle. Keep on in this destructive lifestyle and condemn herself for the rest of her life. Or was she in awe of this forgiveness her creator had given her? Was she in awe of his forgiving heart? Was she in awe of the freedom that he was offering her in that moment? We are forgiven. What are we doing with the forgiveness our creator comes telling us about today? What's our response? As we close out, I want to extend an invitation to you. Sometimes in a message like this, it's helpful to kind of have an opportunity to solidify something, mark it down. So at each side of the auditorium, you'll see our signs that say forgiven. Under those are poster boards, and we have some markers. If the Lord has spoken to you in some way, and you want to remember it, you want to mark this day, we invite you to go to either wall and just sign your name. That's all. Sign your name. We also have some folks there that if you just want somebody to pray with, they will be thrilled to pray with you. Let's pray now together. Lord God, how we are in awe of your forgiving heart. We thank you. We thank you. How I pray for each one of us, God, that this truth about your heart, your forgiveness, that it sinks deep in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds, and that today we are changed. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.